It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours, like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 282 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Adam. I'm joined by Jill. How's it going? Good. I am tired today. Uh, I don't know what it is about this week. Why? I mean, I know why I'm tired. Like, it's we're recording this on Wednesday, the day after all the election stuff, and like, I hope you all voted if you can. And I get we won't get into politics or anything, but like, so I, I stayed up watching the election results, and I was just like, way too late for my very early alarm. I don't think my body's adjusted to the time change yet because I already wake up early. We so like six thirty is a normal wake up time for me. So now I'm waking up at five thirty, which is just fantastic. But not. Yeah, my alarm went off at 4.50 today because um, I, as we've talked about ad nauseum, living with my parents while my house gets built, my mother is babysitting my niece now, and so she's also getting up very early. So I was like, I want to avoid causing her to have a bad shower <laughs> situation with, like, the the water running at the same time. So I got up at 4.50. That was a bummer. Um, my wife and I discussed this on the weekend when we did do the time change. For whatever reason around here, it's like you go one hour back and it feels like the sun goes down four hours earlier, like all of a sudden. And the sun does not mess around. When the sun starts going down in November around here, like it's, it feels like it's two minutes later and it's, it's the light is out and then it's pitch black. There's no nice sunset. <laughs> no, yeah. To be fair, we have beautiful sunsets in the summer. It's gorgeous. Yep. It's like around here. It's like, it's, it's like the sun's like, I'm tired and turns lights off. Yeah. So am I, son. But like I noticed that like on Sunday, the day when we had daylight savings for the first day, um, we, it was like 7 o'clock at night, and we were both just staring at each other like, what's the understandable time to go to bed? Yep. Because I'm exhausted. I hear you. Yeah. So I, I agree with you. I'm not, I'm not adjusted. It's like jet lag without going anywhere. Yes. That's <laughs> what it feels like. Um, anyway, what's today's episode about? So today's episode is an interview I did with um, Andrew James, who is a managing and launch editor, is a managing and launch editor at uh, Titan Comics. And he is um, in charge of several different of their um, licensed comics. But for this particular one, we talked about Doctor Who. And I'm a huge Doctor Who fan. Um, and so getting to talk with uh, Andrew about his also love of Doctor Who and the comics and how all of that works and stories and doctors and it was it was a lot of fun. Um, we are having this episode because for our library friends who are listening, um, Titan Comics Doctor Who comics are on sale in our marketplace um, between now and November twenty fifth. So if you you know want to add some Doctor Who graphic novels, um, now would be the time to do that. So. Especially since it, it just came back. It just recently. came back, right. So we had recorded this. My interview um, with Andrew happened, I think, like two days before the 13th Doctor made her um, debut. 
And so we talked a little bit about that because I'm, you know, and I asked like how much information they work very closely with BBC, mm-hmm. who is the production um, for the TV show. And I asked like, do you get insider information yeah. about like what, you know what I mean? Because you have to, the production time for comics takes a while. So yeah. you have to have been working on these far in advance of the TV show. Um, so we did talk a little bit about uh, the 13th Doctor um, in advance of her of her showing up. So do because I am not a Doctor Who fan, I'm not against it, but it's just one of those things where there's so much of it. Where I, I, I admittedly do have the whole like I wouldn't know where to start, right. and and I know that you can kind of start fresh with each yep. Doctor and all that that jazz. I I get the whole thing, and like when I tell a lot of my friends who are Doctor Who fans, they look at me like because we have a lot here at the office. So many. Mm-hmm. Or like, oh God, we are just the best dorky. Yeah, there's a lot the of Doctor Who fans here at the office. So with the comics, and maybe you, got, you can tell me to shut up if you guys talk about this. But like, do the stories run kind of parallel from the comics and the shows? No. So I mean, a little bit, but also not because for them, you know. So for those who watch the show, and also those who don't, um, the Doctor has companions who sort of travel around with him. Um, they're like his sidekicks, or in this case, her sidekicks now. Mm-hmm. Um, and they uh, they have followings just as big as each of the individual doctors. Um, for the the comics, they create their own companions. Mm. So these are companions that are separate from the television companions. And we talked. I did ask a lot about continuity, like how does that work? Right. Um, but the thing with Doctor Who, because he's a time and space traveler, you can pretty much put him wherever whatever, and insert yeah. him wherever, and you sort of have this understanding that. I mean, as a viewer, I am well aware when I'm watching these shows that there are probably stories not being told about this particular doctor. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, like different whatever. So, um, and even though the doctors, like certain doctors are no longer on TV, there are still comics happening for him. Gotcha. Which is kind of cool too. So even if your favorite doctor is no longer, you know, being aired on TV, you have these comics that you can go back to to kind of um, see other adventures. I feel like we could do a whole spinoff podcast, which is like Jill teaches Adam about Doctor <laughs> Who. <laughs> we could. That'd be so in. I'd be so for it. You know what? I mean, if there are, pe- I will say this: like, if there are people who, I was a little skeptical skeptical about Doctor Who before we started watching it. Um, there are definitely standalone episodes that you can watch that will give you a sort of a quick little glimpse mm-hmm. without necessarily you needing to sort of understand yeah. the world to kind of give you a taste of it, something you would like. Um, Blink is always a big one. That's the one with the Weeping Angels. Yeah, is, yeah, that I know. <laughs> yeah, the Weeping Angels I'm familiar with. Yeah, so the Weeping Angels episode Blink is a good one. The Doctor's not in it a lot, but it gives you a, it, it gives you a good sense of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, my personal favorite standalone is Midnight, um, and both of these are David Tennant ones. Um, God, I love David Tennant. That's the other thing. So, like, when I first started watching, and this is going to be, like, a super long intro, but whatever. That's fine. You can listen to me talk about Doctor Who. Um, <laughs> when I first started watching, so, you know, everyone talks about David. Like, it was David Tennant's season when I started watching. He was still the Doctor um, as 10. And then the season before him, or the Doctor before him was 9. Um, and I was... I was like, I started to watch an episode of Nine, and I'm like, I don't really know how mm-hmm. I feel about this. So then I ended up watching um, the first episode of David Tennant's season, or series, or whatever. 
And I was like, oh, this I like. Okay, I'll go back and like watch all of nine. Yeah. And then go on to 10 and then 11. Um, and now we're up to 13. That's, yeah, see. Honestly, the way that I feel like I've learned more about Doctor Who than I ever expected, and this is true with a lot of things like this, uh, Honest Trailers, the yes. the very popular mm-hmm. YouTube series that like lots of times makes fun of movies and things, they also do television show ones. And actually, like, two weeks ago, they did an old mm-hmm. Doctor Who mm-hmm. one, all well, about the old yep. old series, yeah. and then the new Doctor Who. And I honestly feel like I learned a watch. ton. They're very even for someone who had no idea. Like a lot of the show is very funny, so I think I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of Doctor Who. Uh, also, you mentioned this being a very long intro, which it is. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. In the past, we've gotten iTunes reviews. People sometimes are like, "Man, their intros are really long." But we just got a couple recent reviews that were five star reviews. People, you should go do that. And they said they love our intros. They always crack them up. So, <laughs> this if you like, You're welcome. if you like. Jill and I's weird brand of humor. This intro was right up there with all of that. So, it's like geek out about Doctor Who. Yeah, okay. Uh, if people want to get a hold of us, you can go to professionalbooknerds.com. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at ProBookNerds. We're still doing our 30-day book challenge. If this is the first you're hearing about it, go to our social media and you'll learn all about what we're doing. Jill came up with this wonderful idea. We created a template so you can basically just talk about a different type of book every single day using your Instagram stories and, and Twitter, which people, like people are doing. It's all over the place. It's so fun to see. And even if you're just starting it now, you can start your day one whenever you want to start it. Yep. There's a lot of confusion. I think we made a mistake. We started on November 1st, and everyone's like, oh, crap, we missed the start. Right. No. no. Do whatever you want to start it. Um, anything else you think people should know about? think that's everything okay cool well i hope you guys enjoy oh by the way if you don't name this episode something funny i'm gonna be very mad because it's doctor who i'm just saying so i'll let you marry great thanks yep all right guys i hope you enjoyed this doctor who centric episode of the professional book nerds podcast everyone, this is Jill, and joining me today is Andrew James, Managing and Launch Editor at Titan Comics. Specifically, we are going to be talking about Doctor Who, which Andrew has overseen since they launched in 2014, and he'll be launching the 13th Doctor series this fall. Andrew, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Uh, Not a problem. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. So can you start by giving our listeners an introduction to your job at Titan Comics and what exactly a Managing and Launch Editor does? Oh, so much. (laughs) (laughs) So it, it, it's basically a role that oversees uh, our department. So our department's about sort of um, 10 editors strong, uh, plus some freelance editors too. Uh, and my role, I've basically climbed the ranks. I, I've been at Titan 14 years, so I've had a variety of different jobs while I've been here, but it's, it's mainly the new role is overseeing any new number ones. Uh, it's sort of helping out with creative teams. It's editing a few titles myself, uh, so sort of putting teams together, overseeing editing scripts, uh, dealing with licensors, like in Doctor Who's case, the BBC, on a regular basis, uh, and generally uh, trying to keep things ticking over smoothly and also sort of trying to um, uh, give advice to the younger members of the team and sort of bring them up to speed on, on how we launch comics and, and things like that. Okay. So, yeah, you've been there for a long time. That's a while. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How did you get into comics as a career? I mean, were you a comic reader when you were growing up? 
So I was, uh, and then some of my teachers were kind of like, oh, put away those pictures and focus on prose. You'll be a novelist one day, my boy. Uh, and then as soon as I got to university doing an English literature degree, I think my parents had left me Watchmen or something like that as a uh, matriculation gift. And I read it and was like, oh, comics. I really like <laughs> comics. I should do stuff with comics. So then I spent the next three years of my degree as well as doing, you know, all of English literature, basically running every student magazine and drawing and all that kind of stuff. And basically bootstrapping myself into comics from that. So I sort of did a webcomic from my third year uh, to the three years after I graduated, actually, like a, a weekly one. So that it taught me a lot. There's an awful lot that I um, I learned from sort of getting my hands dirty and doing each part of the process, and that really feeds into the editorial career. Uh, but then I, I graduated, moved down to London, uh, where it's all the media jobs are, and was jobless for a couple of months, and then fell into the Titan uh, sales and marketing department in the books, and then sort of worked my way around until I was actually doing comics. But it, it wasn't really until t- 2013 that we did originated US format comics, which I think everybody who's grown up on comics loves that format, loves that style, loves the uh, you know the history behind it. So, uh, yeah, since then when we launched the actual Titan Comics department, as opposed to being just a bit of Titan magazines, uh, ever since then it's been a, a whirly gig of uh, comics every day and extra helpings in evenings and weekends. So. <laughs> I'm curious about the licensing portion. How exactly does that work with licensing uh, so it, yeah, titles? It works multiple ways. So sometimes there are things um, where the editors or people in staff, you know, watch a movie, see a TV series coming up or play a video game, and we come in and go, we love this. We think there's a, you know, a huge well of story here that isn't sort of contained in the original product. Uh, there's a big audience there that we can show you. You know, here's all the Twitter static. Um, stats from just, you know, a couple of weeks after launch. This is crazy. We should get in on this. Uh, and sometimes it's a uh, bidding process. So Doctor Who actually came to us. We were the second U.S. licensor after IDW Comics. And that was very much, it was like a year-long bidding process of um, pitching. Here's what we would do with it. Of course, there's always the financial side, but as the editors, you're rarely involved in <laughs> exactly how much money is being put forward for each each brand. But um, Doctor Who was very much, uh, I started that Christmas 2012. Uh, and we knew we had the license in October 2013. So that was quite a lot of meetings, mm-hmm. lots of PowerPoints. Um, at that point, because we didn't have any creators on board, I was involved in coming up with sort of two years worth of mock storylines, just sort of paragraph pitches for things that we could do. Wow. And I, you know, made a whole bunch of uh, mock-up covers and things like that. And I remember we even went into the pitch with um, some fake 3D panels that you had to put anaglyph glasses on to see and things like that. So that part is fun because that's blue sky and there are no real deadlines involved. And then uh, after you win the license, that's when the, the real hard work begins. But yeah, so it, it depends. It can be that kind of, um, sometimes you're out to impress somebody who's invited you to bid. And sometimes it's a case of sort of tracking down who actually owns the property so that you can bid to them and be like, have you thought about comics? Um, so in my case, Life is Strange is one of the ones that was that latter case where I, I fell in love with that series of games in 2015 and sort of brought it to the table then. But it took sort of two years for um, people to go, oh, yeah, hey, we should do this. And now we're doing the comics. So it took a while, but we got there. Uh, but Doctor Who was definitely at the BBC invited us to pitch and we sort of put forward our best foot and, and came away with the license. I feel, you know, with Doctor Who, you would have so much freedom to do a variety of stories and it must just be so fun to work on that and come up with these new ideas. There's literally this huge universe that you can just make up and new companions you can introduce into um, the the stories. It is, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the freedom for our comics certainly came mostly on the 10th and 11th Doctor and 9th Doctor when we launched those because their stories were already told. Mm-hmm. So we were able to find these cul-de-sacs of story where... 
um, you know, there's a year missing or there's an indeterminate period of time that isn't seen on screen and we can fit like a whole three-year, four-year publishing program into that gap. So it was very much a, how do we stay true to canon, but how can we show you something, kind of like The War Doctor, you know, there's nothing in the series up to that date to conflict with the fact that this character all, you know, technically already existed, but didn't exist until Moffat put him on screen. Uh, So... And it was also, uh, it was very much a conscious decision on my part that we would go for new companions, because especially since the series came back in 2005, it's been driven by the Doctor's friends as much as by the Doctor themselves. It's very much that kind of, you need someone human who can witness things for the first time, be put in danger, and, you know, are they going to die? You know the Doctor's not going to die because you've already seen them regenerate in many cases. So it's that kind of... Um, having new companions adds both mystery, you get uh, new eyes on it, so, you know, all of our volume ones are great places for new readers to jump on, whether they've seen the show or not, because you're sort of seeing it through the eyes of these new characters. And also, you don't know their fates, and I think that sort of having that thread dangling through every book is that it drives you on to read the next, but it's also that, what is going to happen with them? You you know, you, you get the um, ability to tell an actual ending in one of these stories, whereas if you just... Uh, you use the TV companions, you're, you're always at the whim of the TV show, and you know that the ending is always going to be told on TV rather than in the pages. So, um, yeah, so for that reason, the 12th Doctor, a lot of that, when we had Clara in, for example, or Bill, it's very much you're taking your cues from where the current timeline is in the show. But even on that series, we took the opportunity to inject some new companions in there. We had a, a bassist from a, um, uh infinity loop-shaped space station in the 41st millennium and that kind of thing. So, um there's always that uh, ability to add extra wrinkles in. Um, I think the other thing as well, because Doctor Who on TV, every week you're somewhere completely different. Mm-hmm. It's the same in comics. I mean, it, it burns up stories like nothing else. <laughs> uh, you know, it's very rare that you can kind of have continuing characters or continuing locations. But, you know, lots of writers and artists love that challenge because it, it is that kind of, they get to build the world from whole cloth and almost destroy it, you know, in a couple of issues. But you, you get to these perfect kernels of really exciting stories and exploring a wide variety of concepts from science fiction to historical to fantasy. Uh, and it all sort of fits within that Doctor Who world. Right. Um, you sort of touch on this a little bit, but, you know, with a show like Doctor Who that's a little wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey, um, how, and, you know, of course has this TV show that goes with it, how do you, in terms of storytelling, um, handle the continuity and making sure it, it does fit within the canon but is still its own thing? Well, it's sort of an equal split here between the editorial team uh, and there's obviously the benefit of having one or two or three people with their eyes across the whole range. So even when you've got four or five different writers and artists working on various different books, you've still got somebody saying, eh, we were here in this series two years ago, but, you know, that did something different. Or can we cross-pollinate a couple of villains here that we created in the comics that would make perfect sense to pop up here again? Or we keep coming back to New York. Can we, you know, hang a lantern on, on why? Um, but also we've got the BBC on hand and everything goes through the BBC approvals channel. So previously it was, um, the team, the, the Moffat era team, uh, a mm-hmm. couple of really fantastic people over there reading the scripts, giving us notes on the plots, signing off on the artwork. And obviously with the Chibnall era team, it's a whole new different team, but, um, they still got, uh, an incredible team over there, sort of very knowledgeable about who past and present. And obviously anything that would conflict with their plans going forward gets a sort of instant, no, do something else. <laughs> Here's why. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, um, uh, Gabby DeMatteis, who's uh, over there now doing uh, scripts approvals and licensing approvals, uh, she came from uh, Penguin Books, I believe, and has the most encyclopedic knowledge of Doctor Who uh, and is just so enthusiastic about it. So it's always that, even just as a, uh, a 
sounding board. You know, should we do this? What about this? And she'll always give you notes on sort of dialogue and does this sound like this? But obviously, after working on it for five years with the existing doctors, uh, we feel pretty confident that we sort of know the voices of uh, 9 through 10 and all the classic doctors too. So 13 has been the, the um, uh, brave new world we've been exploring for the last six months or so. So that actually is a good lead into my next question, um, which is, you know, how do you even approach a new doctor without having any information really yet about what that doctor is going to be like? In the, and, um, you know, does the BBC offer you any little tidbits in advance? So, yes, but this has been one of the most secretive years right. on record. <laughs> uh, so for, from a fan, uh, I, like I, I, I've told them and we'll tell them again, I tip my hat to them. I mean, this has been one of the most watertight years of Doctor Who ever. The fact that we're going into the series knowing so little is absolutely fantastic yep. as a fan, and I can't wait. Uh, obviously, we have had little tidbits, like we've read elements of the script. We've had guidelines to the companions, friends, I should say, as the new characters, so we know their rough arcs. Uh, but it's very difficult getting a handle on um, how the characters actually talk until you see them interact as they're actually reading the words from the page, if you see what I mean. So um, we're in a position where we can uh, nip and tuck the dialogue based on the first couple of episodes before we go to print on the first issue. And uh, Jodie Hauser, our amazing writer, is, uh, uh, well, she's a fount of Doctor Who knowledge and stories on her own, so we've already crafted a wonderful plot for the first four issues. But beyond that, uh, we'll be in further dialogue with the episodes as they go, and we'll be in a position based on our publishing and printing schedules to sort of uh, be able to see what fans really respond to on those episodes uh, through through to the end of the year from this season. And also, you know, if people are like, oh, I'd really like to explore that a little bit more, we're in a position where we can sort of jump on that towards um, the end of our first year as well. But Jodie's in, in the mood to sort of tell fantastic brand new tales as well. It's, we, we rarely do things that sort of um, are direct sequels to episodes or sort of explaining where characters came from, because a lot of the time, by the time they're in the show, you're seeing the most interesting bit. And it's far more interesting to take the Doctor and her friends off to a new location and new creatures and uh, new allies and foes uh, than it is to sort of retread ground that they could watch on streaming or DVD or any of that kind of thing. So that's been kind of our watchword from day one, and it will continue to be our watchword as we go forward. Okay. Yeah, I should say we are recording this on Friday, um, October 5th, and so we're we're very close to uh, 13th new season. I'm very excited for... Um... Yes, me too. <laughs> I love, I love, I mean, you know, Jodie Whittaker, she's so good in everything I've seen her in, and I'm, I'm very, very excited to see her approach to the Doctor. Yeah, I think this is going to be an absolutely fantastic season, and I think anybody, uh, who may have drifted away is going to be just yanked back magnetically to this show, because it's, uh, I, I think it's going to look so fantastically different as well. All the stuff where they're shooting it on kind of new, uh, lenses and cameras and all this kind of stuff, it's, it's going to look wonderfully cinematic as well. It's, uh, it's not an entirely new show. There's all that connective tissue back to the past sort of 50, 56, 57 years and that kind of thing. But it's going to look just stunning and feel fresh and brand new. So I can't wait to see that. Yeah. Any new doctor is like that, but it, it's very exciting. You know, I will admit I was one of those people who sort of drifted away during 12. I watched a few mm. of the episodes. I wasn't quite as big a fan, um, but I'm I'm definitely very much planning on coming back and, and watching um, Jodi as the 13th. Um, so what are some of your favorite storylines that have appeared in the, in Titans Doctor Who series? Oh, such a difficult <laughs> question. I don't want to play I know, I'm sorry. Faces, but I will, I will. It's, it's okay. <laughs> um, I mean, the, the wonderful thing that we've had on the 10th and 11th Doctor series especially is long-form storytelling. So I think, um, one Nick Abadzis with a, a couple of guest spots from Robbie Morrison did on the 10th Doctor, 
Um, it's such a wonderful sweep. You know, there's, there's kind of like 10 books all featuring uh, companions, uh, Gabby Gonzalez and Cindy Wu from New York. Um, and just their subplots and the way they develop from such a sort of baseline. It's a scary story in New York to all these kind of weird powers that Gabby falls into and all these kind of um, emotional subplots and emotional undercurrents that are brought to the fore by their adventures. So some of that, is, it's less that you can pick any one particular story from that run and just the fact that you can pick these 10, 10 Doctor books up and read this one huge epic story that fits in between Series 4 and his regeneration, essentially. So that's wonderful. Although within that, I will uh, call out uh, The Weeping Angels of Mons, which is the second volume of The Tenth Doctor, which is a First World War story with the Weeping Angels. And mm. it's just as good as it, as it, is, uh, well, as it sounds from that yeah. um, top-line concept. So just, you know, fantastic. But all the artists who helped bring that to life, from Eleanor Casagrande, who originated the companion characters, to Eleonora Carlini, George Esposito, who's played such a big part in the third year, just wonderful stuff in that Tenth Doctor run. Um, and the 11th Doctor, uh, we sort of did those as uh, three-book trilogies. Uh, so each year has kind of an overarching serial story, which is really cool. I've just been going through the second year making some um, tweaks for any future volumes we may do, but that's a really amazing one. The second year has um, uh, lots of nods to Time War. We've got the War Doctor in there. Uh, we've got Absalom Dark guest-starring thanks to Panini Magazines, who gave us uh, the license to use him for those three books, who's the Dalek killer, mm-hmm. who's kind of... Um, the exact opposite of the Doctor in every respect, with his sort of buzzing chainsaw and mad armour and uh, loud, raucous, uh, uh, well, desire to have a fight with everything. So it's it's a real study in opposites, that one, and a, a sort of year-long mystery with lots of really creepy undertones on that one as well. Um, but Alice Obifune on The Eleventh Doctor is, again, a wonderful character, a sort of library assistant from Hackney who begins the series incredibly depressed. She's lost her mother, and the Doctor kind of brings colour and life back into her life, and that, that kind of arc that she takes across those three years as well is just uh, really something to witness, so a lot of fun. Uh, on The Twelfth Doctor, I think my favourite, uh, they're all wonderful, but I think my favourite single volume is uh, Volume 4, The School of Death. Uh, and that one has, it's Robbie Morrison writing at the top of his game. It's kind of got lots of political uh, nods and satirical asides. And it's got Rachel Stott drawing the absolute heck out of it. She loves the 12th Doctor. She loves Clara. She loves the 13th Doctor as well as she's drawing her. But um, it's a really nice single volume. And it's got a, um, a one-part, almost self-referential uh, story at the end where the Doctor is sucked into the pages of a comic book uh, thanks to the um, 2D creatures from the episode Flatline to come back for a single episode. Uh, so that, that's a really fun sort of five books in one, uh, five comics in one uh, volume if you wanted to sort of dip into his era and get a really nice standalone. Um, but yeah, so many, so many, so many cool stuff. And of course, I, I've not even mentioned our multi-doctor events, uh, which are always an absolute nightmare from a deadline and schedule <laughs> point of view, but wonderful. I, again, all standalone, but four doctors, Supremacy of the Cybermen and the two volume Lost Dimension that we did last year. Just really cool stuff. It's, uh, it's, Doctor team-ups you can't see on screen, either because the Doctors have maybe aged out a bit mm-hmm. or because contractual reasons mean they're not there. But, you know, four Doctors we had, uh, 10, 11, and 12 with a cameo from nine. Supremacy of the Cybermen is nine, 10, 11, and 12. And Lost Dimension is every Doctor, uh, aside from 13, who hadn't turned right. up at that point. So um, they're just really cool sort of big-budget summer action blockbuster kind of books. Those all sound really good. I'm I'm actually from an artistic standpoint. I'm curious how you know you said that you know the artists um, you know love drawing twelve and is now drawing thirteen. How you know do you do you pair specific artists with specific doctors based on personality or interest? How does that work? Uh, sometimes, sometimes it's uh, who's available. But a lot of the time, when we're casting a book, you're looking for an artist who can bring uh, you know 
either they've said on Twitter somewhere, oh, I really love this doctor, here's a sketch, in which case you're like, oh, my job is incredibly easy, I hope they're free. <laughs> um, and sometimes it's more you maybe give them tryouts on a couple of doctors, or sometimes it's we've always tried to cast our artists so that they reflect uh, the feeling of the show when it was on air. So a 10th Doctor comic shouldn't feel or look like the 11th Doctor because, you know, the lens has changed. 10th right. Doctor has lots more mm-hmm. coloured gels. It's all sort of bright primary colours and things like that. Uh, same as the 9th Doctor was. The 11th Doctor is very much, they move to HD. It's a lot more realistic lighting. It's kind of more blues and kind of uh, sharp highlights and things like that. And the 12th Doctor, too, kind of goes a bit more desaturated and adult as it progresses. So it's making you, when you pick up the comic, it shouldn't just be like, oh, I could insert any Doctor here. It should feel like here's the Moffat era, here's the Russell T. Davis era, here's, you know, it's David Tennant on the page. So some of it comes down to casting actor, um, artists and uh, colorists who will reflect that. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, Eleanor Casagrande, we were lucky she'd done a single issue for IDW of The Tenth Doctor during Prisoners of Time, which we've now collected in Omnibus, and she nailed his likeness. <laughs> it was kind of like, what could she do with an extended run? And, you know, it was brilliant. And from there, actually, uh, George Esposito, who drew it for kind of three books worth, was Eleanor's, one of her assistants early on. So kind of, again, picked up that love. And Eleanor Carlini was kind of a studio mate, too. So some of it is just, uh, it's finding people who love that character and have absorbed it. Uh, because it's always that tricky thing of all the likenesses do need to be approved so they can't not look like David Tennant. So you need people who can draw them without just tracing them right. uh, or draw them from screen grabs. It's kind of people who can in, uh, embody that character from the inside out. And I think the 11th Doctor particularly, it's never we never went photo real with that one because it, Matt Smith in many ways has got such a cartoonish character. He's that sort of impish old man in a young man's body for it. So uh, we went slightly more abstract with that. So there's never really, aside from the covers, a panel in there where you go, oh, that's taken from this episode. But he's always the 11th Doctor. You know, it's the the hair, it's the the face, it's the bow tie, it's the coat. Uh, so it's it's finding people who can embody the body language as much as anything else and draw without needing sort of slavish amounts of reference. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so at the end of all of our um, episodes, we have what we call the Nerd Nine, which are nine lighthearted questions. Don't put too much thought okay. into them. I will tell you, I added. <laughs> this is actually a Nerd Eleven because I added two at the end for you specifically. But um, okay. what was the last book you finished reading? Uh, uh, a Claire North book, whose title currently escapes me, but I love her as an author. Um, so it's her most recent one. That's okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, novelist, go go out and read them if you haven't. She's such a wonderful, prolific talent. What is the book that made you fall in love with reading? Uh, uh, it's probably going to be like a Hardy Boys book or something like that. I used to go to the Lake District a lot as a kid, uh, and there would be one bookshop in town, and it would have a bunch of beaten-up paperbacks. And it'd be something like a Franklin W. Dixon ghost-written three Hardy Boys in one. <laughs> And I'd be reading those on a, a day when it would be pouring down with this beautiful Lake District scenery outside and be sat up in a rented bunk bed reading them. So, yeah, that kind of stuff. Uh, it, nothing nothing fancy as a child, just some cool detective literature. What is your favorite place to read? Uh, probably sat on a couch, I guess. If Yeah, couch or bed. Okay. Just a, yeah. Or occasionally, more likely in London, hanging from a strap, reading it on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> what is one place you would like to travel to that you haven't been to yet? Japan. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I only really started going to the States when I met and uh, subsequently married my American wife, but uh, I was not very well traveled before. But uh, Japan is definitely a place I'm very much in love with and would love to go in person. Your favorite holiday to celebrate? Holiday in the American sense. 
Uh, probably Christmas, because it's the only one uh, us British people really go in on. <laughs> We're sort of coming up there on Halloween a little bit now, but missed out on it as a kid. So, yeah, Christmas. Cats or dogs? Cats. I've got two. They're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Coffee or tea? Tea, yep. Favorite food? Uh, chocolate. Just chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a good answer. Uh, who is one person, dead or alive, you'd like to have dinner with? Oh, um... Uh, Ishinomori-san, who created the series Kamen Rider in Japan. He's no longer with us, but uh, it's one of those things that I've fallen in love with the last few years. Uh, and I would love to talk to him about the generation of the... Uh, the project and what he thinks of it now that it's become a giant phenomenon over there. Hmm. And then two bonus questions. Who is your favorite mm. doctor and who is your favorite companion? Uh, I would say it's a tricky answer, but I do actually have one. <laughs> so uh, I really love Matt Smith as the 11th doctor. So I think that's uh, it's the one where I started watching it week by week before then I'd been sort of catching up on DVD and I think just sitting down to watch the 11th hour and being like, wow, this is a fantastic first episode. This is great. I just, uh, you know, whatever the stories we're doing, he's, he's such a sort of magnetic and interesting presence. Um, and in terms of companions, yeah. Uh, is it, is it a cheat if I say Gabby and Cindy from the 10th Doctor comics? No, of course not. <laughs> of course not. Um, <laughs> Oh, well, and Alice as well. I think Gabby, Cindy, and Alice, just because, I mean, they were there from day one when I started on the comics. You know, I, I was there for their creation. Um, but just it's it's one of those weird ones where because they took, you know, three years plus of publication, they've been in comics longer than some of the companions on TV have been. Right. Uh, and they just feel like they've, they've lived such full and round lives. And, you know, they're not over yet. <laughs> There's still more stories potentially to be told. So, yeah, Gabby, Cindy, and Alice of Ifune, I, I love the three equally. Those are good, that's a good answer. Yeah, I will agree with you on Matt Smith. He is my favorite. Uh, and I think it was the same thing. I had watched um, 9 and 10 on DVD, and, and 11 was the first one where I was really kind of caught up into it in the moment yeah. when each one would air. Uh, Companions, uh, mine's kind of a cheat, too, because she didn't really travel, but River Song. <laughs> I love River. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Well, um, one last question. What, you know... Are there any um, upcoming storylines that we should be, like, readers should be looking out for in the Doctor Who Titan comic series? Uh, well, I mean, it, publications as well as, as uh, storylines. So, I mean, the, the if you're looking for an amazing jumping on point right now, the book that we just brought out last Wednesday, Doctor Who, The Many Lives of Doctor Who, is a really great sort of evergreen jumping on point, whether you're a fan or not. It's the, um, so it's about 68 pages. Uh, and it's a whole slew of artists and Richard Dinnick writing. And it's uh, sort of three to five page stories for every Doctor framed uh, by the Doctor flashing back over her life as she regenerates from 12 into 13. Uh, so it kind of gives you a, an insight into, you know, what's a companion? Why do humans travel with the Doctor? How, what does regeneration mean? What's a TARDIS? But in a kind of subtle, nice way rather than a uh, sort of didactic, uh, here's a TARDIS, here's what it means mm -hmm. kind of way. So it's really exciting and sort of ends... We've got a, a page of art from Rachel Stott and Enrica Angelini, so the art team on the new 13th Doctor. So again, it leads really nicely in. Uh, we've also got the Road to the 13th Doctor book, uh, which will be coming out uh, end of December. But you can buy the individual issues digitally now or rent them or uh, check them out from your library. And that is three standalone issues uh, for 10, 11, and 12. 
uh, with little bonus stories at the back, four-page bonus stories, tying into our new 13th Doctor series. So it's introducing a new antagonist who's sort of tracked the Doctor through time, uh, and it's going to be in the 13th Doctor series that they finally meet. Uh, so it's kind of, uh, each of those is a really nice standalone jumping on point. Uh, but if you've not read those by the time you get to 13th Doctor, absolutely fine. We will catch you up as well. It's just some really nice sort of bonus material and really cool, cool stories. Uh, and then, yeah, 13th Doctor, which is now dropping on the 7th of November. Uh, we moved it back so that retailers could actually see the first couple of episodes before they put their final orders in. Well, that's going to be incredibly exciting. So that's writer Jody Hauser, artist Rachel Stott, colorist Enrique Aaron Angelini, and uh, Sarah Jacobs at Comicraft is going to do the lettering. So we've actually got an all-women team across the series on that one, which is really cool. And that's launching in the trade in, in comic stores with 13 variant covers all by women as well. Uh, so it's one of those, we don't often get the opportunity to make a statement like that, but now is a, a really good time. Um, but it's going to be amazing. It's, it's a fantastic sort of journey around the universe uh, with you know, introducing the new Doctor to comic readers, introducing her new friends, and also sort of um, introducing a new uh, couple of really cool new aliens and some uh, time-twisting shenanigans as well. So those first four issues are going to be absolutely fab, and then beyond that, really cool stuff as well. That's really awesome. Wow. Okay. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking Doctor Who, Andrew. No, you're very welcome. Thank you again for having me. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. Bonjour. This is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor, and every week I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food. So, come join me on Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app!